All right, so January 2022, we did our first Habitation Conference. Who was at that event over at the Lifestyle Building? Uh, way beyond what we could have ever thought or imagined. Um, I remember when we saw the registration, I asked my sister, is there like bots that signed up? Like, why are these people coming to this? And what the Lord did beyond the people that came is, is how God came, changed our lives. And in 2022 of January, I thought, you know, the calling is forever for me and Emily pastoring. We're gonna pastor this community and we're gonna have a conference called Habitation. Uh, little did I know that the Lord had much, something much bigger in mind. It was at that event that uh, the Lord spoke to me that we are to start a school called School of Habitation. If you're a student, would you stand up? If you're a School of Habitation student and you're here tonight, come on, can we honor them? I love you guys. Fiery bunch of crazy people. It's beautiful what the Lord is doing, but we're a year in this month. Well, no, January, sorry. We're a year almost in to the school and what we've seen the Lord do is amazing. But how many of you know the Lord takes us from glory to glory, from one measure to another measure to another measure. And he has been unfolding this plan. He has been unfolding what God wants to do with this, not only this church resonation, but what he wants to do with the ministry. We were given instruction by my apostle, our grandpa, Sido. Uh, I'm sure you love that name. Um, that habitation was to be the net that would bring the fish in and resonation would be where they're discipled. And so I knew that there was more. I knew that there was more than it just being a conference and a school, but we really believed that the Lord wanted to create it as its own entity, its own ministry that still covers habitation, I'm, or sorry, still covers resonation. I'm still, Emily and I sit apostolically over this church um, in, an, in an oversight position, but it's beautiful just getting my hands off and watching my brother, and I believe he's gonna take it further than I could have ever gone, amen? And so my brother resides now uh, officially as the senior pastor over every location, and all of the locations have pastors that are submitted under my brother, but we, we don't believe in uh, multiple campuses, we believe in one church in multiple locations. And so we're not building three different communities, and however many more he develops in the future, uh, but we're building a family that we believe is going to extend across the globe. Everybody say amen. And so habitation, we believe, as its own entity, as its own ministry is strategic and important for us to be able to go gather the churches and gather the leaders and gather the pastors and, and really build on pillars we believe God's asking us to build upon. But that doesn't mean I am leaving Resonation. It doesn't mean Emily is and I are stepping away in any in any way actually we're i believe taking the role god always intended us to be in in this house and i still plan on coming back whenever all the time when i come back here in dallas it's like a it's like i, I it's bethany it's rest it's home what you guys carry the hunger is hard to find anywhere in the world and so i honor this community i honor this house you got to keep going amen but in this new season officially we are creating habitation as its own ministry, habitation ministries, and it'll be built on three pillars. And these three pillars will be worship, events, and the school. And 
There's a couple of tweaks and different things that we have made that we believe the Lord has given us clarity on, on what this is to look like in 2024. As far as the events go, we are gonna keep doing habitation nights like this. How many of you would like to do this more? Us to just come back and do this more. Um, but we wanna do habitation nights like this. We wanna do them from city to city. We're gonna keep doing our conferences. But Emily and I had the opportunity a, a few months back, or not, well, I'm so confused. Three, no, a few weeks ago. Oh my gosh, there's a lot that's happened for me in a few weeks. Feels like a year ago. Um, we, we had the opportunity to go to England and, and minister. And, and it was amazing what God did. Um, it was like half second honeymoon for us, half ministry. And it was the best trip we've ever had. And we haven't had a trip like that in eight years without children. So Emily said, I don't know what to do with myself not hearing mommy every hour 63 times. So I said, I can call you that, but you know, she didn't want that. So um, <laughs> uh, just kidding. That was weird. Anyway, um, <laughs> so we went to England and, and really got hit with this reality of, of how many people are really watching and what we're seeing God do in the nations and these, especially these young people. And I met a group of young people there, so hungry, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Um, I'm talking like 11 year olds wailing on the ground in worship and I'm being ministered to more than I for sure ministered to them. And I've never actually felt a nation so on the verge of revival where I was like, if it was possible for me to pick everything up and us just all go there and get filled up and come home with revival, I was down. And so when we were there, there was this theme that we would hear of, of like, it would be our dream to be able to come to SOH, School of Habitation, be our dream to, to be able to come here and, and, and be a part of the school and be a part of what you guys are doing. And honestly, in my heart, I was like, don't, don't do that, stay here. And not because there's anything wrong in the US, we're just bored in the US, but that's a whole nother story. But there's something so profound happening there. I want them there. And so we came home a little bit stirred in our hearts of how do we, what do we have to sell? What do we have to do to be able to come to nations like this for extended periods of time? And what we've seen God do in Dallas, we see him do that in different places, not to plant risen nations everywhere, but to gather pastors and to say, you can have a dwelling place for the Lord in this nation. So. We go to this place, there's no social media, it's all word of mouth, hundreds of people come. I, I've never quite seen anything like it. There's not a lot of money, it's not this huge production, but the presence of God was so incredible, I don't remember the last time I experienced anything like it. So on our way home, the Lord really dropped this in our hearts of I'm not calling you to, to uh, a calling where you'd be like a, a Navy SEAL going in and out of cities, dropping bombs, eradicating the enemy and leaving but there's a new way. Everyone say a new way. A way that is more missional in design, a way where we can be like Green Berets, actually go into nations and not just do a habitation, but after habitation, stay for an extended period of time in a nation. Stay for an extended period of time inside of a city and equip them. You see, Green Berets, when they go into nations, they don't just eradicate the enemy. Green Berets go in and they bring infrastructure. They bring resources. They bring ammunition. They bring everything possible that they can bring to equip them with the culture that they need, to equip them with the ability and the strength they need to be able to create their own base and defense and not need them anymore. 
And so by the time the U.S. leaves, there's been a, 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 an infrastructure put in place that has the culture of the United States on it, but it is their own nation and it is their own move. And so the Lord confirmed it in a bunch of different ways. It was, it was actually really crazy. Pastor Jenny texted me and said, don't let me forget to tell you what Tanner's been talking to me about having to do with Green Berets. I'm like, no way. And I had just told Emily this. And so we really felt like there is a missions side to habitation events where we'll continue doing the habitation nights. We're gonna continue doing the conferences, but we believe the Lord is actually highlighting the nation of England and really the whole United Kingdom. And we want to do our next habitation in March in England. Everyone say amen. amen. We need a lot of money and it's gonna be fine. We're gonna get it, all right? And I don't care if I have to pay personally, I don't care what we have to sell. I believe that the Lord is calling us to these places and he's gonna to begin to highlight these places. And our heart is to actually go do a habitation and rather than coming in, doing an event and leaving and leaving the local church in disarray, because that's what I've seen for a very long time in ministry is you go in, you do a conference, you bring people into an offsite room, they touch something that's glorious, it's powerful, it's wonderful, then they go to church rebellious. And I got emails for years from pastors of my people went to your conference and they came back and just told me everything I was doing wrong. I said, I'm sorry, I, I, that's on me. And, and my heart is, is that we, if we're not strengthening the church, then what are we doing? And so rather than going in and doing events leading up to our event and just doing a bunch of promotion, what would it look like to do a habitation event, stay there for 30 to 60 days and say, we're gonna keep going again on Friday night and gathering pastors and gathering leaders on off days and, and continuing to do these events until they're ready to just keep it going on their own. That, that when we leave, they keep doing Friday night habitation nights. With no, if they don't have to have any affiliation to us, our job is to apostolically go and plant a seed and watch it grow where pastors become equipped to build dwelling places for the Lord and get out of the system that produces depression, discouragement, and carrying the weight of people that God never intended them to carry. The, the whole barometer is, did the cloud come? Did we minister to his heart? The best thing we can do for people is make it about God. And this is the message that God is calling us to carry to a generation. And we believe one of the pillars of this ministry is gonna be habitation missions. And we just believe England is the first place, amen. And, it, and it'll be an open, obviously our students, it's gonna be a part of something that we want our students involved in. I believe the Lord's gonna speak to people that are, are here and there that are gonna actually say, the Lord's calling me to this nation. And we'll be able to go in and plant leaders inside of nations to just stir up a move of God, amen? What's so beautiful about England is, is when you study the great awakening that happened in the United States, it started as an evangelical revival happening in England. And men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield would go to these places, stir up revival, but they lived in Georgia. And so it wasn't built around the identity of men and, and let's build our ministry around what God's doing and moving. No, 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 we're gonna go raise up leaders in those nations, not tell them to come here to Dallas, not tell them to come to Nashville, but, but to spread like a glorious cancer all over the earth until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God and his Christ, amen? So that's one pillar. The second pillar is worship. Uh, worship, of course, has been everything to us. And I can't honestly talk about it too much without weeping but his presence is everything and um, 
I believe that we're in an hour where God is restoring offerings again and rescuing Levites out of Babylon. And I don't say this with a, with an, a heart, a jaded heart, upset at anybody. I've never been in the system. Thank God, I pray I never am. But I don't come upset at anybody, but I just feel this, this protective desire, this jealous desire to get offerings back on the altar again. Not on our merchandise tables, but actually back on altars. And what we've done in our culture is we've produced worship and we've produced music and we've released it and it's an offering to the Lord, but we demand royalties. An offering is sacrificial. David came in 2 Samuel 24 and he had committed a great sin and the Lord, a plague breaks out and, and he finds the threshing floor, the nicest threshing floor in all of Jerusalem when he gets to the man's house that owned it. The man says, you're the king, you can have it. I don't, I don't, I don't want you to give me anything. And David makes this profound statement that I believe separates him from every other king. He said, I will not bring God something that doesn't cost me. And so how can we minister this message but not do something different in the area of worship and music? And so we're gonna begin to poke at the system. Everybody say amen. And one way that we feel the Lord asking us to poke at the system is starting with the album we released called Incense. How many of you love that album? And, and just when every time Kaylee goes into Worthy, the roof pops off. But just before service, we all signed a dotted line that says, with this album and moving forward, we as a community will not receive royalties on anything that we release that is considered an offering to the Lord. And, and what that looks like practically is we are gonna pick four to five different missions organizations and moving forward, any finances that come in or any that have come in from incense or any albums in the future. And I'm specifically talking about that which is vertical toward the Lord, okay? But that which is vertical toward the Lord, we are gonna pick missions organizations and, and we are gonna take the funds that come in and they will come into Habitation and every artist has signed on the line that Habitation included, we will begin to fund these missions organizations through the money that's coming in. And it will, every time you listen to a song on Spotify, it'll be funding the kingdom of God. And it, it makes no sense practically for us financially. We plan on doing the same thing with YouTube. When you don't monetize on YouTube, YouTube takes money no matter what. So we are gonna monetize and then we're gonna give that money away too, amen? And, and we believe that this is what the Lord is asking us. And I, and I want to be clear, I do believe that there is a place in the body of Christ for songs and melodies, Ephesians 4 talks about it, that are unto one another. You know, Moses would sing songs of deliverance over the children of Israel. There is a place in the body of Christ where if somebody writes a book and releases that book, Paul says, you are worthy of the wage. That when you go and minister, you are worthy of the wage. So I'm not coming against that in any way, shape, or form. We are just drawing a clear distinction in the sand. Like I believe that there is music inside of Pastor Kaylee, for example, that people are gonna listen to in cars and their bodies are gonna be healed, amen? I, I believe that there is, there is people that God has anointed to release music to the body of Christ that through the avenue of music, 
that devils are going to leave people. I just believe that that is coming. I believe that it's already in our midst. And, and Pastor Kaylee's worthy of that wage. But we are talking about specifically, we are drawing a line in that which is for people. And anything we write as an offering for the Lord, we are saying as a community, we will not make money off that. Amen? Third pillar. Everyone say third pillar. And this is a big one. School of Habitation uh, has been really the, the foundation of this ministry and what we've been pursuing. A big part of what we experienced in England was, Lord, how do we make this more available at a, at a cheaper cost? So when I got home after the experience we had with these young people who really don't have the money to, to participate in School of Habitation, don't have the finances to be able to move to the United States, I went home thinking to myself, man, how dare us charge such a steep price and say, sorry, I can't equip you because you can't afford it. When the Bible says, come to me for free, as if salvation costs us something. And so, oh, and I forgot, moving forward with events, we will not charge for habitations. Everyone say amen. All right. How are we going to make money? <laughs> we don't know. The, you know, the... God is going to move upon people's hearts and people are going to partner with the ministry, but we will not, listen, we will not make this a transaction. I refuse to make this ministry a transaction where I'm going to create a product and I'm going to give it to you and become rich off of the product I made. No, no, no. We will not do this as a ministry. We believe God is going to move upon people's hearts and we can truly say that God has funded us. Amen. Okay. So with School of Habitation, we kept hearing this reoccurring theme. I've heard it amongst our own students of, I want to do it. I can't afford it. We're trying to figure out, Lord, how do we branch out? And the Lord has made it clear to us that we are to move from a tuition-based school to a membership-based school. We have been charging $3,000 a year to, to attend School of Habitation, really geared toward the in-person experience, but we are moving away from that. And we are going to charge $50 a month and make everything available that we have made available on a membership basis that is self-paced. So whether you are a full-time stay-at-home mom, a businessman, or a full-time pastor, you can walk through this with us. And what that is gonna look like is there's a $250 fee. And by the way, I'm like, I'm terrible at doing announcements. So Pastor Jenny here, let's honor Pastor Jenny for what she's done in School of Habitation. It's going to be at a table right behind this wall, right? At a table right behind this wall after where her and Pastor Tanner will give you guys information on what it looks like. But you can also go to schoolofhabitation.org. You can read about everything we're doing. I have a vision video on there. But just really quickly, what it looks like practically is a $250 one-time fee. And after that, for $50 a month, you will have a login to a portal. Every And it's for anybody. You can do it for life. You can do it for a short period of time. We wanna meet the people where they are and we want it to spread throughout the earth. And so there'll still be um, in-person expressions for prayer rooms, for worship in Dallas and in Nashville. We don't have a facility yet in Nashville, but eventually we will. We have it in our hearts to continue doing the prayer rooms, continue to do the discipleship groups locally here in Dallas and locally in Nashville. So if you've moved to Nashville and you're thinking what is happening, we still are gonna connect in person as a family, okay? Even if we have to go to Pastor Tanner and Jenny's house and my house, whatever it looks like, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't care what we gotta do, but the Lord is going to make a place for us, amen?
but really the, the experience of the school will be geared toward the online experience. And so moving forward in January, every Tuesday night, I'm gonna jump online at seven o'clock at night and we're gonna dive into the scriptures together within your portal. We're gonna have prayer rooms for you. Within the portal, we'll be going through the scriptures together. There'll be discipleship groups that you can join into from anywhere in the world. And it's something where I'm thinking to myself, man, this is a way where I can stay connected to the entire Risen Nation community in Dallas. This is a way we can stay connected anywhere in the world and make this more subscription-based. And we just, we feel that, again, our job is, is not to create a strategy where we can make the most money, but create a strategy that creates the most impact. And we believe that this is the way to go. Amen. And so again, if you're uber confused because I didn't do well on the announcement, talk to Pastor Jenny and uh, go to schoolofhabitation.org. But starting in January, this will be $50 a month and you can sign up tonight, pay the fee tonight, reserve your place within the school. Another cool addition we are going to do is for an additional, I think $35, we're gonna be doing something called the Levitical Journey. And it's gonna be led by Pastor Kaylee, but this will be for singers, songwriters, musicians, creatives. We're gonna teach instruments on there. We're gonna teach music theory. We're gonna go through writing and we are gonna talk about tending to the heart of the Lord. And you can do all of it in one place with one login. And after two school year cycles, if you go through that far, you then will have passed a threshold where you can actually be a part of an in-person pastoral ordination intensive where that is more with our team. You'll be in Nashville, you'll travel with us, be a part of what we're doing. Uh, but I'm very excited for this. And, and I really feel like this is ultimately God is saying, don't worry about the money, just spread the net. Don't worry about the money, just spread the net. Years ago, he told me, if you go deep, I'll go wide. If you go deep, I'll go wide. And, and this is what we're choosing to do is, is we're choosing to go deep in the Lord, prepare a table for him and invite a generation to sit at it. Not so we can make money so that they can look at his face. Amen. Okay. So again, three pillars, worship, events, and school. Please talk to Pastor Jenny after. Go to schoolofhabitation.org. The website's been updated. You can start signing up tonight. Amen. And you're probably going to run into some little issues here and there on the website. We literally went live and I just really want to honor. I know that they're going to hate this, but my brother-in-law, Harry, my sister, Michelle, all the work that they did. My sister was up till two in the morning for multiple nights in a row, making everything ready for tonight. And her younger brother comes and says, I have a great idea. And then I go to bed and she has to put it all together. So Give her a big hug, prophesy over her after. She loves hugs, she loves conversations. So, um, <laughs> anyway, um, so are you guys ready to give, to give toward this? We are literally starting from scratch. And as a ministry, as its own entity, I believe that for me, for the Habitation staff, that I wanna take pressure off of Resonation Church. And I believe that Habitation on its own will be able to support the team of Habitation. And so beyond signing up to be a part of the school for $50 a month, you can partner with us. And, and monthly partners help us because it helps us know actually what's coming in every month. I mean, if you wanna write a million dollar check, totally have at it. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't do that. You absolutely can do that. But it's not about some amount, it's about putting a seed into what I believe the Lord's doing. And if all you can afford is $10 a month, we honor you. 
Amen. And so I want uh, the ushers to prepare the buckets. I believe that there's offering envelopes on the chairs. Is that right? Okay. Do we have a slide or do we not have a slide? We have a slide. All right, let's throw that up. Um, you can give at habitationministries.org. Uh, and there it is, all the information. You can text 84321. Just text a number, uh, an amount to that number, and it'll bring you to a place where you can join in. But like I said, we, we aren't starting uh, with some chunk of money in the bank. We're doing this by faith, and we're stepping out in faith. And I believe that Risen Nation Church, especially here in Dallas, that we're gonna look back years and years from now and say, look what we were a part of the beginning of. And it'll be because of what you guys have sown. And I have to say, Risen Nation Dallas has broken every statistic possible. As a community, this church, I would say 95% of this church gives. And in the United States, it's like 15%. And so I just wanna say like, you guys have been carrying the weight of what God's doing in Nashville, what God's doing in Chicago, and now in the launching of Habitation, I believe that the Lord is about to rain bread down from heaven over every household in Jesus' name. All right, so when you have it, can you guys stand with me? I wanna give this as an offering to the Lord. In Exodus 25, after the greatest encounter in human history, Moses comes down a mountain, his face is shining with glory, and he doesn't tell anybody about the experience he had. In Exodus 25, he comes down with a command from the Lord. And the command from the Lord is, I want them to build me a sanctuary. And I want you to find anybody with a willing heart, and I want you to gather whatever they can give because God's after habitation. Habitation is not some grand new idea. I don't, I, I, I don't wanna stand up here tonight and say, look at the new thing God's doing. I actually think we're just getting back to an ancient thing. I think we're getting back to an ancient desire within God's heart that has been a longing in his heart from the time he said, let there be light. It's always been about a family and a home and he wants it on the earth. He wants heaven on the earth and he wants people to live together. The end game of Revelation 21 is we're gonna hear voices echoing through the skies that the tabernacle of God, the habitation of God is among men. So we're not starting some ministry with some great strategy, branding idea, and how you can jump on board. We simply want to join into the vision of the Lord, which is God is looking for habitation on the earth. And however we can, with whatever money we can, we are gonna tell the world that God wants to make them his residence that God has been longing for a people that he can call home. Not so you can be a tool in his hand, but he wants you as possession. And so my appeal tonight is, is not to join the vision of habitation, but join the vision of the Lord that we want to get behind. We don't start ministries, we join his. We don't start churches, we join his. So when you have it lifted before the Lord, Lord, we heave this to you like they did in Exodus 25. The invitation was, Moses, I want you to tell them I want to be closer. Tell them I want to be closer. I want to dwell in the midst of them. Lord, captivate us tonight with your vision, with your dream, God. We trade, God, our ambitions for your call. No matter the cost, Lord. Lord, I pray that March 2024, you shake the nation of England 
in Jesus' mighty name that you find a dwelling place in London, that you find a dwelling place in Farnborough, that you find a dwelling place in Emsworth, God, in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, I thank you that tonight we get to plant the seed for it. We bless your holy name in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. You can be seated. Go ahead and pass the buckets. All right. You stay. Sorry, Noah. Shauna, you're good. Noah, you good? You good to hang with me tonight? All right. Wow. I, I, I want to honor, there's so many people here that I want to talk about. Um, if I don't talk about you, know that I love you dearly. Uh, but I'm so honored. A part of what we're doing is, is we're building out a board for habitation and, and uh, people that God is that Emily and I have known for a very long time um, and people that God has recently brought in our life. And I just want to honor, we have a couple with us tonight, uh, Joel and, and Janie Taylor. Can you guys stand up, please? Can you guys honor them? Um, this is Joel, Janie. You're good. You can sit down now. I mean, I could just make you stand awkwardly the whole time. Uh, but Joel was actually the previous CEO of Bethel Music and God connected our hearts not long ago. And we've sat together um, twice a week for, uh, for quite a while. And he's really, God has really used him to pull a lot of vision out. And, and we just feel the Lord calling us to run together. He's, him and his wife currently lead something called the Healing Project where they write worship and it's something Pastor Kaylee's been a part of too. But they write songs of healing and deliverance over people. And exactly what I was talking about of their desire is, is that while someone's in a car, and they have cancer that they're gonna to listen to this music and be healed. And uh, they did their first recording, uh, what, like a week, two weeks ago. And we're gonna be doing another one at the end of, or in, in January. And uh, I'm just thankful that the Lord is beginning to connect us with people in the earth that have really seen the music and seen all of this stuff. But the cry of their heart is, is they believe God's raising up Levites in this hour that desire to tend to the heart of the Lord. And so we're thankful for who God's connecting us to. Would uh, Pastor Tim and Pierce and Heather, would you guys stand up? These are some of your family members from Nashville. Come on, honor them. To be seated. Pastor, uh, Pastor Tim, he looks like Jesus right here. Uh, the hair is glorious. Um, I shared, I think, with you guys the story about in December, last December, when Emily and I went to uh, Nashville for the first time, we were praying about moving. I said, Lord, I need a confirmation. And I need like really, I need like 67 really clear ones uh, because it's gonna be hard to leave this group. And I got off the jet bridge with Emily and this guy looks like Jesus walks right up to me. And I'm like, it's the Lord. And, uh, and he said, hey, do you remember me? I said, uh, no. And, he, and then he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I mistaked you for somebody else. And it was a really awkward moment. But then he said, wait, you have a church in Dallas and you're all about like a dwelling place for the Lord. And I said, where do you live? He said, we live in Franklin, we have a ministry here. And so we got together, sat down. I said, what burns within your heart? He says, Psalm 132. I said, if there's not a clear sign, like what are the chances the first guy I run into is burning for Psalms 132? So we sit down and we start talking and a lot of what we've uh, experienced in the launch of Risen Nation in Nashville has really been the support of his community. People like Pierce, his mom, Heather, your fiance, Haley. And, uh, and I just want you guys to love on them 
after service, make them feel super awkward. And, uh, and just, this is family. This is our extended family. Amen. Is anybody else here from, from Nashville? Josh. Josh is here. <laughs> Josh Mays and Jamie, also part of our team on the board. Josh, stand up so we can honor you. We're going to make it awkward for you too. Come on. Josh was another... Josh was another confirmation for Emily and I. The night before we left, it's crazy, you two are all sitting together. The night before we left to go to Franklin where I was asking God for the 67 confirmations, I got a text from someone in our church that said, hey, have you heard Josh and Jamie are moving to Franklin, Tennessee? The night before, I said, seriously? And the last time we talked, they were planning on moving to Dallas because you guys were in, uh, close to Houston. And so, we called them and, and we said, the Lord's kind of speaking to us. I'll never forget because Jamie started crying. And it's just all of the confirmations and all that God has brought together. I just couldn't be more thankful for this team. So if I forgot anybody, forgive me. All right, I love you uh, all very much. You guys ready for the word? All right, and then we're gonna go. We, listen, get comfortable, all right? You all can sleep in tomorrow, it's Saturday. But, but I, I want God to touch me tonight. Does anybody want God tonight? Okay. I want you guys to open your Bibles to Hebrews 11. I'm not gonna get there for a minute, but I just like saying, open your Bibles to Hebrews 11 because it feels like a good starting place. I wanna minister on and you, if you're taking notes tonight, I wanna to talk to you about a groan for his habitation, an aching for the Lord that I believe he's actually releasing in this hour as a gift to people. And like I said, habitation is not some grand idea, um, but this is something that has been in God's heart from the time of leading the children of Israel out of bondage of Egypt like I said, in Exodus 25, the very first command he gives the children of Israel is I wanna be close to you, build me a tabernacle. The very first thing Moses comes down the mountain with is God wants a habitation among people. David touches it, this community, I've preached this one million times here and I'm gonna preach it another million. But David touched it in 2 Samuel chapter six. He finally becomes king. In 1 Chronicles 13 as well. I mean, he, is, he has been 20 years in the making, anointed as a teenager. God tries him. God tests him. God builds him. And we get to this point where he's finally anointed as king. He stands up and he's about to give his state of the union. He's about to get up and give his big speech. And he doesn't talk about the agenda of the nation. He doesn't talk about... Uh, the military. He doesn't talk about anything that he wants to do with the economy. He stands up and he says, we didn't go after the presence in the days of Saul, but we're going after it now. And in 2 Samuel 6, he, he actually brings the Ark of the Covenant into his city, which represents the presence and the glory of the Lord. And he's dancing like a madman. And he actually, the, the glory of God follows this man into the city. And when he gets to the city, it wasn't enough for him. He says, Lord, I want to build a house for you. We know the story. The prophet Nathan goes to the Lord and the Lord says, you want to do that for me, David? I'm going to do that for you. And this is like he touches this, this ancient desire in God's heart 
No man has ever asked for this, has ever prayed about this. You never see in scripture anyone asking God if he wants a home. It's the first time you see from a man to God saying, I want a place of rest for you. Arise, O Lord, to your rest. It's the ancient vow of Psalms 132 of we will not rest, we will not sleep until we find a place for God, a resting place. So arise to your rest you in the ark of your strength. And he starts talking about when he's a teenager, he said, we heard about your presence in the fields of Ephrathah, in the fields of Bethlehem. We heard about you there. And since I was a young boy, I have been longing to dwell with you. He would write things like one day in your house is better than a thousand elsewhere. One time in the presence of God beats a thousand days anywhere else and David finds this thing and it captivates his heart and he becomes obsessed with how can I have a place where God brands his residence there right and so David touches it and God says David I love your heart but I don't dwell in temples made of human hands I'm gonna build you a house and there's one thing on the earth besides the creation of trees but but there's really one thing that that God can dwell in on earth that is not made with human hands, and that's you. You weren't created with human hands, so God says, fitting. You were made and knit in your mother's womb by the hands of God. And so God has always had this in his heart of, I desire to live among a people. I wanna be in them, I wanna be all around them. Jesus comes with this announcement of the kingdom of God does not come by observation in Luke 17, but the kingdom of God is where? Come on, guys, what happened to you? It's where? Okay, it's within you. You become literally God's domain. It's his longing. It's his passion. It's what he's been looking for. First Peter describes it as that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and then he comes to us, and we become living stones upon living stones being fit and assembled together into a dwelling place for the Lord. And like I said... It ends with Revelation 21 of voices will be heard saying it's done. The habitation of God is with men. So there has been this plan from the beginning that God is gonna find his family and he's gonna build his home. And where this journey started for Emily and I is, and I've shared it, but in 2017, I have an encounter where I get a rebuke of you've never built a home with me. I was in ministry. I was seeing people healed, set free, delivered, saved. I was really good at doing the stuff, but I had never become God's possession. And it's like God came to me and said, I appreciate all you're doing, but I don't know you. And it's gonna start in your room. It's gonna start when no one's around. Let's build a home together. And this is why on the wall, it says, this is a house for God but it starts in our bedrooms. And so I got free from this thinking of that God simply wants me to be a tool and he wants to possess me. Jesus says in John 14, my father and I, we're gonna come and we're gonna make our home with you. But in the scriptures, there's this constant connection between this dwelling place, this home that God is longing for and hunger. And I wanna talk about this aching, this like, empty stomach desire hunger for God to dwell that you find in scripture and don't worry I haven't forgot about Hebrews 11 but just write some of these verses down Psalms 107 says it like this in verse 4 through 9 
Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. And he led them a straight way until they reached a city to dwell in. He says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So you gotta, you gotta listen. They're, they're wandering in the desert and it's not until they get in touch with their hunger. It's not until they get in touch with their need that God says, now I can entrust you with a city to dwell in. So there's something that is only reserved for the hungry. There's something that is only reserved for those who have this, I'm in touch with the fact that I'm thirsty. I'm in touch with the fact that I'm dying of hunger. God says, call to me. And when we begin to call to God, God says, I'm gonna build a habitation with them. Isaiah 66, just write it down, one to two. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. In other words, where's my place of rest? Where, where am I gonna dwell? Where's my house? If heaven's my throne and earth my, is my footstool, where am I gonna dwell? And it's not gonna be something made with human hands. It's not gonna be something that that you can create because I made everything. And then he makes this profound statement. He says, but this one will be the one in whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my words. So in other words, Jesus tells us, or the scriptures tell us that the habitation of God is not gonna be some building structure. It's not gonna be four walls. It's even though the house for him is on the wall, God is not looking for a building to dwell in. He says, I've made all these things. What I'm looking for is a people that are humble, contrite, and they tremble at my word. And so there's something entrusted to tremblers. Tremblers in the kingdom are home builders. In the West, we stop trembling. We're not broken anymore. We're so full with religion, it stinks to the Lord. But God says, when I'm looking for rest, I'm not gonna come to your million dollar building. When I'm looking for rest, I'm not gonna come to your million dollar ministry. When I'm looking for rest, I'm gonna find the people who are weeping at altars. I'm gonna find the people who are locked up in bedrooms and they're broken and when I walk in, their body starts to tremble. And I'm gonna say, these are the ones who I wanna build a habitation with, right? So you get to Hebrews 11, start in verse eight. Are you guys there? It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he, was, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. That's how I feel all my life. Go, where? Just, just be quiet. Okay, yes sir, just follow me, okay. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac, Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now listen, this is really important you see this language. Abraham found the promised land. He lived in it. It says, 
He went to live in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. But he was looking for something other than just some physical piece of land. It goes on and it says, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I actually believe Abraham believed that there was a place that God was taking him that he can say this place has been built by God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith. He got the promise, he got the son, but he still died with a longing. He still died with this desire, with this passion, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. In other words, he didn't see the full potential of this. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I want you to underline that in, in your Bible. They acknowledged that they don't belong here. This is important. They acknowledged that this isn't home. And it says in verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land, of that land from which they had gone out, they would have, they would have had opportunity to return. Listen, listen to the language. If their hearts would have been set on the land in which they left, if their hearts would have been set on comfort, if their hearts would have been set on, Lord, this is, this is too much for us. We just wanna build our comfortable lives, be wealthy and do good on earth. He said they would have had an opportunity to return. In other words, the Lord's like, you can have it if you want. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. So I want you to listen. He talks about these people of faith and they died with this longing. In other words, it was never just about reaching some land. Although we value the land. How many of you have been praying for the nation of Israel? Okay. Like very important, I believe in the storyline of the Lord. This is, this is a sacred place to him. But, but what Hebrews 11 is telling us is Abraham had something, it, it gives us insight into what actually is in Abraham's heart. Abraham is longing for something that is not something physical. Abraham is longing for something heavenly. Abraham is dying, longing for a country on the earth that the foundations of it were laid by God himself. I believe that Abraham believed with all of his heart, I believe this is why it was accounted to him as righteousness, is I believed he believed that the environment of God was gonna be among him on the earth. And so land was never enough for him. And he died with this longing, with this desire. There's this, there's this hunger, there's this connection. And the Lord says at the end, this is why I'm not ashamed to be called their God and I'm preparing them a city to dwell in. 
because of the longing, because of the hunger, it wasn't enough, nothing was ever enough for him until he saw the fullness of God among them dwelling in a city together. So Ecclesiastes 3.10 through 11, you can turn there if you want, or you can just write it down. But I wanna talk about where this spiritual hunger comes from. Because I believe that the key to seeing a habitation on the earth is only, everyone say only, gonna come through people that are starving. It's only gonna come through people that have been eaten up inside with zeal for his house. You know what being eaten up inside is? You know, like when you haven't eaten for a long time, your body starts eating itself. It starts eating and, and you know, it sometimes feels good because you're like, maybe I'm losing some LBs, right? But it starts to eat at itself because it's hungry. It says of Jesus in John chapter one and John chapter two, that zeal for his house as he's flipping the merchandise tables over, that zeal for his house is consuming him and eating him up inside. If you think that Jesus is not more hungry than you are for you, you're mistaken. He is more jealous, more infatuated, and more intense than we could ever imagine. And what heaven's longing for, we see it in Romans 8, 26, that the spirit of God within us is groaning unto the Father, words that can't be uttered, and I believe the point, what God is looking for is people that match that groan. And when we begin to match that hunger, when we can begin to match that zeal, God is gonna come to a people and he's gonna say, I'm gonna build my tabernacle among them, right? So you see this in Ecclesiastes 3.10, listen to this. He says, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men. Listen, God gave men a travail. And this travail, listen, that God has given the sons of men, they're to be exercised in it. I want you to listen closely. They're to be exercised in this travail. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set eternity in their hearts. Wow, stop. He says, I gave a travail to men. And I'm gonna, and I'm gonna you know what travail means? It means the pain and pressure of giving birth to something. It's you are travailing, you are breaking. And, and when the baby comes, you forget about the pain that brought you there, right? But he says, I have given men this pain. I've given them this pressure. And where is the travail coming from? It's the fact that eternity is in our hearts. Here's what I mean. How many of you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world? How many of you believe all life came from God, which means you came from God, that your, your origination is not earth, your origination is heaven, right? That the, that the gospel of the kingdom is I'm working my way back to what I've always known, that I'm discovering in my spirit where I came from. And when we preach the gospel to people that don't know, there is this seed inside of them that they come from God and our job is to awaken what's already in them, right? That's why you don't need to add a bunch to the gospel. The power of the word, it works. Talk about the cross, something in them, their origin starts getting touched. What's that thing shaking inside of me? Why does this just, it doesn't make sense to me, but it makes perfect sense to me. Anyone ever like been around, you know, Cito, for example, he's preaching and you're thinking, I don't understand not a one word that's coming out of his mouth, but why is my body shaking right now? Anyone know what I'm talking about? And so you touch where you come from. So the Lord says, 
I set eternity in the hearts of men. That's where you're from. And on earth, you're going to experience a travail where eternity is being exercised out of you. This is what heaven invading earth looks like. We're waiting for like the castle to come from the sky, like the Transformers movie. But if the kingdom of God is, doesn't come by observation, in Luke 17, it says, you're not gonna say, look there or look over here. Oh, it's that resignation Dallas. That's not, that's not how it's gonna work. God says it doesn't come by that way of observation, but the kingdom of God is within men. In other words, the kingdom of God is gonna be exercised out of men. And heaven is gonna be, listen, earth is gonna be invaded by heaven when you walk into rooms, but there's a travail that has to take place, right? And so you see it throughout scripture. Second Corinthians five, one through five, just write it down. You gotta understand the travail is this, that you're on earth, but you're not home. And your spirit knows that you're not home. And it produces this longing in you of, of why do I have divine discontentment going on? Anyone go to like church on Sunday? Not here. <laughs> you know, or maybe just your closet even. And you sit there and you go through your religious, you know, you, you repeat yourself 43 times and you never get anywhere. And then you go and you wash your face and you think I'm the worst. And, and you deal with the condemnation. Like I would tell you, stop condemning yourself. You're just hungry. And there's this anxious longing inside of you. If creation is groaning, in Romans 8, 19, for the manifestation of, of what? The sons of God. If creation is groaning, then surely we ought to be groaning too. And the reason we're groaning is not the reason creation's groaning. Creation's groaning for the kingdom of God to be birthed out of the sons of men. Our groaning is we're pushing it out. It's gotta be exercised out of man. And so the longing, the travail is that I'm in the earth, but I'm not home. I'm not from here. And so there's this pressure of, I've got to have the habitation of the Lord. I've got to have his home here. This is what made David different was he was obsessed with this idea of, I'm going to get God to rest in Jerusalem. And nations are going to come to Jerusalem because they heard God was there. He was this freak of a man who was possessed, he had a possession of, I wanna be known as being the place where God found his domain. And then he called it the city of David. Ever think about that? There's no false humility in this man whatsoever. It's you live in this contradiction of, my spirit has heaven in it, but I'm on the earth. So 2 Corinthians 5, one through five, it says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God. This isn't too deep for anybody, right? Can we dive deeper tonight? We have this building from God, a house not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan. Underline it. In this tent, we groan. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Is anyone burdened tonight? Being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, 
but that we would be further clothed. That's so that more, that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Wow. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, and he gave us the Spirit as a guarantee. In other words, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit signed the dotted line that says, I'm coming. And I'm going to come, and the tabernacle of God is going to be among you. The hungry Christian should feel stuck. Stuck in the body, consumed by the spirit, and it creates this longing, an ache. And if I'm honest, I don't hear a lot of groaning today in church. I don't hear longing today. I would, I would encourage you, be mindful of messages that are taught to you that's all tailored around how you can have a better life. Be careful of messages that are tailored to how to have a better life on earth. You weren't made for here. How to be successful in the place that you don't belong to. Let's learn the ways of Babylon so we can be successful in Babylon. No, no, no. Babylon is going to fall. Babylon has to be chopped down through a people that are so out of the system, so in the world, but not of the world. But we have tailored religion Christianity, which is a religion today, Christianity all around what best suits you and how you can live a better life and it's self-help. And we forgot about self-denial. We forgot about these messages that don't prepare you for the earth. They prepare you for being on the earth in heaven. All right, come on guys. It's the Lord is, the Lord is building this groan. It's, it's you come to grips with you're a sojourner here. Like, I, I can't, I just can't take it anymore. We have Christian therapy behind pulpits and life coaches. And I'm not against having a life coach. But you know, we need preachers of the gospel again. That aren't preaching for your entertainment and what you like and what makes you feel good. This isn't about you feeling good. This is about you joining a travail. Uh, my desire is that you don't leave tonight encouraged. I pray you are, but my desire is that you leave disrupted and in pain. And not pain like sickness. God will heal you of sickness. And then he'll give you another one called longing. And I want to dip into the river of desire and never come out again. And I'm sorry, but I don't see desire today in the church in the West. I see programs, timesheets telling, listen, Holy Spirit, this is what you get to do today. How far have we gone? God have mercy is right. And there is this apath apathetic spirit of slumber, bored with the things of God, and it's consuming this lack of interest no concern for the pollution in the church. In Ezekiel chapter 8, the Lord tells the, the, Ezekiel, he says, I want you to go throughout Jerusalem and I want you to find those who have a groan within them. And if they've got a groan over the abominations they're seeing, put a mark on their head. And if they don't have a groan, take them out. That's in the Bible. I know we don't like that stuff, but we have to read it. We got to believe it. If they don't have a groan in them, they don't belong there. But if they have a groan in them, I'm gonna keep them there until heaven, till earth looks like heaven. Find those with a groan. In Zechariah, listen, I'm sorry, in Zephaniah chapter one, the Lord comes to Zephaniah and he says, I want you to take lamps 
and I want you to go throughout Jerusalem. This is what I believe he's doing in this hour in the West. I want you to go throughout Jerusalem and I want you to find those who have settled in complacency. And I want you to warn them. The NASB says those that have become like stagnant, frozen water. And he, and he says, I want you to deal with it. You know, I, I love, I love our community in Franklin, Tennessee. But can I tell you something about Franklin, Tennessee? Franklin, Tennessee is beautiful. I'm sorry, it's way prettier than here. The trees are red, the lattes are better. Well, it's questionable. Summer Moon's pretty dope, but yeah. But people move there to build their lives. People move there to retire. People move there because it's pretty. And so there's so much comfort and apathy and we've got more coffee processing sessions and dusty Bibles. We're doing so much planning on how we're gonna take the city and our closets are empty. I've never seen a place with more centralized Christians in my whole life. And then God sends a 5'7 nutcase like, I'm like, Lord, I could live in England with hungry people, maybe Brazil even, you know, just send me where the hungry are. The Lord's like, well, what's the point of that? How would that serve me in any way, shape or form? God is calling, not because we're elite, not because we're better, not because we know something that somebody else doesn't, no, no, no. God's finding a broken people that are inviting other people into the brokenness. But there is such a lack of interest for the things of God. And it's become trendy to be a part of community. We're so fascinated by the way worship looks, we forgot to worship. I, don't, I believe that the greatest threat in church is not the culture outside. I don't think the greatest threat to the church is the culture outside. I think the greatest threat to the church is the culture inside. And I think it's domestication. So I've struggled with something for a long time in my life. And here's my struggle. Everybody tells me you're so intense. You're kind of corrective when you preach. You're really loud. Why do you yell? Listen, it's, I, you can ask my family. I'm, I was never the yeller. I would always be like, why is my dad and Costi yelling all the time? I don't understand. I don't have that. I just am quiet. And then I get up here and I'm like, why am I yelling all the time? Why, why can't I calm down a little bit? And I think I'm accepting that God's raising people, just some of us that are built for war. And religion, religion wants you to calm down, settle down, be refined. See, blind Bartimaeus, he wasn't refined. Jesus is walking into Jericho and he's screaming, son of David, have mercy on me. And, the, and his own and the Pharisees are going, shh. Be quiet. Jesus is coming. It's the time to be refined. Be put together when Jesus walks in. I never find him attracted to people put together. I find him attracted to messy people who are breaking expensive boxes of oil, making a mess of themselves. I find Jesus attracted to people who are screaming, needy, and he says, no, 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 tell him to come here. 
What do you want? I'm blind. He says, now you're going to see. And I think everybody was blind and only one person got their sight that day. The way of Jesus is he's being touched by hundreds of people, but there's this woman, this woman that has a longing, who's got an issue of blood. You see, she was in touch with her need. I think in the West, we've lost touch with our need and we've become fat with our religion, our buildings and our money. And a woman comes and she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just get close to him, I know I'll be healed. And hundreds of people probably touching Jesus and he stops in his tracks, who touched me? Lord, everybody's touching you. He says, no, 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 who touched me? Listen to the language, everyone's touching you. No, they're not. Who's touching me? Who's actually moving me? It's the needy woman. It's the needy one who has need of something. I came to set the captives free, he said. I came to release, listen, those who are in prison, I'm gonna release them. I'm gonna heal the sick, raise the dead. Jesus didn't come for people that were healthy. He said, I came for the people that needed a physician. May we declare we have need of nothing, but may we in the same breath say our number one need is him. And because my need is so strong for him, I don't need anything else. Nothing else satisfies. And this woman pulls virtue from the Lamb of God. She causes power to flow out of his body. What would happen if hundreds touched him that way? What would happen if stadiums weren't filled to build our ministries, but stadiums were filled with people longing to touch his garment? I believe he's raising people that are gonna move him. It's the tremblers. It's the tremblers. And we've become so domesticated in the church, so comfortable. We're more concerned of who's in a White House than who's sitting on a throne. And now listen, we need the current guy to get out. Let's just all be honest. But that's a, another story for another day. But he's going to eradicate wickedness. And Babylon, it says, will fall in an hour. And in that day, he says, the saints will rejoice while the people in the world are going to be weeping over the merchants that are on fire. Let me ask you a question. If everything fell in an hour and all your money became no more, would you weep or would you celebrate? This is what Babylon's talking about. He says, come out of Babylon, my people. I'm not telling you you gotta be broke. I pray you leave an inheritance for your kids, kids, kids. But listen, my kid's inheritance is not my money, it's his presence. It's his presence. I pray there's money along with it, but what's most important is when they come downstairs in the morning, are they seeing my tears? Joel 2 says, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm. It's obnoxious. Let all the inhabitants in the land tremble. There's an alarm going off and some are gonna cover their ears. Some will shrink back in fear. Some will think, gosh, these people are so intense and loud. Some are gonna pick up a sling and a rock and charge giants with zeal. Go to Luke 21 and then we're gonna, can I have the worship team come back? Luke 21, 
when you're there, just say amen. Go to verse 34. He says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dis, dis, dissipation and drunkenness. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. In other words, no one's getting away from the day. It's just your experience of that day is all based on you. But stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Listen, or the Son of Man. Why does he use drunkenness? Drunk with cares of this life. People that get drunk or alcoholics get drunk to numb themselves from reality. People who get drunk get drunk so that they can forget about the reality of what they're living in and live in some fantasy that is out of touch with pain, struggle, all these things. People are alcoholics because of trauma. Corey Russell says it like this, so many in the church walking around with their fingers in their ears saying, I don't want to hear the negative stuff, the bad stuff that's too intense. I don't, I don't want to do the negative for me. I just want to hear the stuff that blesses me today. That drunkenness, listen, it's a refusal to be sober in an hour where God is requiring people to be alert. That drunkenness is we have become numb building our lives more for how we can be successful on earth when your DNA wasn't built for earth. How we can be successful, how we can, how we can build our churches and our ministries and God calls it, you've become dull of hearing. You think you, ha you can see, he rebukes them in Revelation 3. He says, you think you can see, but really you're blind. And he says, I challenge you, come by, listen, Come and buy garments from me. Come and buy gold from me, refined by fire. Come and get eye salve from me and clear your eyes again. Listen, he didn't rebuke them because they were blind in Revelation 3. He rebukes them because they think that they're not. And they think that they've got it figured out. And the Lord is saying, I want you to be careful of being drunk with your life. Let it sink in drunk with the cares of this life. This is what Hosea talks about of, or the book of Haggai, I'm sorry, talks about when it says, the house of the Lord lays in ruins while we build our nice paneled homes. And we are building churches, just not his house. It's what Matthew 24 calls cold love. You don't have to turn there, Matthew 24, six, it says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. This is what we're experiencing. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of birth pains. It's just the beginning of the travail. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated 
by all nations, that's fun, for my name's sake. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because the lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. I want, to, I want you to listen to these words. And because of lawlessness is increased. These people's love is growing cold because they're seeing lawlessness increase. Can we talk about what's happening in America right now? Lawlessness is increasing. It's never been darker. What they're trying to do to our kids is the most demonic thing in all of history. Babylon trying to come against your kids. It's never been darker in all of history. The Lord says in those kinds of moments, people's love grows cold. Because rather than turning to God, listen, if my people will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, I will hear, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. But our love is cold because we're focused on how do we protect our lives in Babylon rather than how do we build the kingdom so Babylon will fall. You were built for war. And religion lied to you and told you to calm down and told you that zeal is just hype. You know what the difference between hype and passion is? Hype is you are excited to move on to something, right? When we played football, you get hyped up because you're about to go from where you are in a locker room onto a field and hit people. So you hype yourself up because you're moving from one location to another location. You're moving on to something and you're, you're preparing yourself for what's coming. You know what passion is? Passion is, is you're excited, zealous, and intense about the same thing over and over again. That's what passion is. Passion is, is I love my wife more and more every day because I'm passionate for her. Hype would be I got to move on from her. No, no, passion says I can stare at you for, for eternity and the only word I can come up with is holy. If we saw Revelation 4 and 5, religion wouldn't know what to do with it. Four creatures, eyes inside and out. When their wings hit each other, Ezekiel says, the earth shakes. And all they're saying is holy, forever. How long is that? Literally forever. The only word that they can come up with as seven torches burn before him with fire and lightning is constantly proceeding from his throne. You wanna talk about intense? His eyes are on fire. I had a kid ask me, a six-year-old asked me the other day when we were in Washington. He asked me, he said, why are God's eyes on fire? Six years old. It took me back. I honestly didn't know how to respond. This is one of the best questions I've heard ever. Like six-year-old, why are God's eyes on fire? So this six-year-old took me on a journey. And I started asking God, why, why are your eyes on fire? And I started thinking, what is it about God and fire? Everything's on fire. When God, listen, made a covenant with Abraham, it was a smoking oven and a burning torch. When God met Moses in the wilderness, it was in a burning bush that was on fire. He led the children of Israel with a pillar of fire. He responded to sacrifices by fire. Jeremiah tells us that the word of God that's in him is like fire shut up in his bones. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel has a vision. And in the vision, he sees a man on a throne who is on fire, waist up, and he's on fire, waist down. For what reason? 
And then he starts saying, and then there's these wheels, and there's a wheel inside of a wheel, and it's, everything's on fire. Malachi, listen, tells us that the day of the Lord will burn like an oven. John told us that we will be baptized with fire. Jesus said, I came to send fire on the earth. On the road to Emmaus, two men's hearts burn like fire while Jesus speaks to them. The day of Pentecost, it was tongues of fire. Revelation 1, Jesus is the man with fire in his eyes. Revelation 4, he's sitting on a throne above a sea of glass that's mingled with fire as seven torches of fire burn before him. God, what is it with you in fire? In Revelation 8, angels gather fire from the altar and they throw it down to earth. The man is on fire. And I started thinking about the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 6, that the eye is the window to the soul. That what's happening in the eye tells us what's going on on the inside. That if your eye is full of light, so is your whole body. In other words, what you see in the eye is what you see happening in the heart. So Jesus' fire in his eyes is burning, giving us insight into his interior world. Not just talking about purity, but fire also speaks of intensity. It speaks of zeal. It, it, listen, even the word wrath, which is jealousy, it speaks of fiery jealousy. So while they're looking at the Lord who has fire in his eyes, we're seeing a window into God's heart that is speaking of his jealousy, his desire, his pursuit, his purity, his zeal, his passion. Ezekiel in chapter eight, after he has this encounter, where he sees the man on fire, half up, half down, everything's on fire. In Ezekiel chapter 8, he gets to this point where it names what he sees and it calls it the throne of jealousy. I saw this image called jealous. What was the image? He's on fire. He's burning. He's being consumed inside. Song of Solomon, listen, brings it all together. Chapter 8, 6 and 7, just listen. Set me as a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm for love is strong for love is strong as death jealousy is fierce as the grave its flashes are flashes of fire the very flame of the lord many waters can't quench love neither can floods drown it so it's telling us what is the fire it's jealous love God is more zealous for you than you could ever imagine. And here's my desire tonight, is that he'd baptize us in fire. I'm not just talking about to remove dirty things. I'm talking about you get baptized with God's intensity. You get baptized with God's zeal. You get baptized with God's passion. You get baptized with his jealousy. Paul says it like this, I am pressing toward the mark. I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. I consider all this stuff I've experienced rubbish at the surpassing excellence of the knowledge of Christ. And he says, not that I have been apprehended, but I'm pressing to, to be apprehended by the one who was so apprehended by me. The invitation tonight is, is this fire dwell in your eyes too? Or is your love grown cold, stagnant? There's not a light in there anymore. 
that our interior world is more anxious about what's happening in Washington than burning for the Lord. I'm too distracted to worry about what's happening in Washington. We should be so fiery that we're affecting Washington. We should be so built as the kingdom of God that God is not gonna go to Joe when he wants to do something. God is gonna come to his people, but not a numb people, not a stagnant people, not a people showing up to their tradition called Sunday morning, but a group of people that have as much intensity as God. And we've made it our aim, God, I'm gonna be as hungry as you are. Has your love grown cold? Have you become drunk with bills? drunk with soccer practice. I'm not against any of these things, but we're so consumed by our lives, we forgot about burning for God's domain. And he says, I'll only trust my habitation with the hungry ones. I'm only gonna trust the, the tremblers with dwelling, only the ones who tremble. It's not something you can work up. It's not something you can muster up and it's not just noise, it's fire. It, it's, it looks like this, you wake up in the morning and all you can think about is being with him. It's fire. It's the sins that used to so easily ensnare you aren't there anymore because it's been burned up by fire. And here's what's beautiful about fire. Anything you throw in it, it becomes like the fire. Nothing has power over fire. It consumes everything. So what does it say about God? He is an all consuming fire. Can you say over your Christian life that you're an all-consuming fire? Eating up inside? I try to be quiet, it doesn't work. I try to be the calm preacher, it doesn't work for me. And if you're a calm preacher, that's fine, that's you. That has nothing to do with fire, but for me, it's like fire in my bones. And I lose my mind if I can't let it out. We need passion again in the church. We need hunger again in the church. We need people showing up to church, not because of a famous worship team, but because they heard God was there. And they're consumed by fire. Why don't you stand to your feet? David said this, Psalms 119.20, my soul breaks with longing. says, I open my mouth in verse 131 and pant after your commandments. I want you to think about this dude. He says, my soul breaks with longing for your rules, for your rules. He was so consumed by God. When God said, thou shalt not murder, he said, say it again. Like, what are we talking about here? Lord, I love your law. My soul breaks for it. This wasn't a man stuck in religion. We're talking about a guy that put a linen ephod on and danced before the Lord, and he wasn't even of the line of Levi. I mean, usually punishable by death, but David gets away with things. I mean, Saul, a book before, does an unlawful sacrifice, loses the kingdom. David technically does unlawful sacrifices too, but God's like, I just can't say no to him. And we get this picture of grace of someone that has enough passion and zeal to say, Lord, I want you. My soul's breaking for your commands. Psalm 69, seven through 10, because for your sake I have borne reproach, shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up. 
And the reproaches of those who reproach me have fallen on me when I weep and I chasten my soul with fasting that become my reproach. In other words, people don't like me, David's saying, because I'm eaten up inside with zeal. Jesus himself stands up in John 7, 37, and he says on the last day, the great day of the feast, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. We don't have time to get into that, but it's fascinating that this happens on the great day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus stands up. I have to say it. We have to go into it. Just two seconds. How many of you know Passover's happened? Raise your hand. Right? Jesus bled. He died on the tree. He was the Passover lamb. How many of you know we've experienced the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? There's three feasts, three major feasts that are honored in scripture. There's more, but really three that are, that are honored, right? Then there's the Feast of Tabernacles. We haven't experienced the Feast of Tabernacles yet. In the Feast of Tabernacles, they would, for seven days, they would take booths with no roofs and, and they would go all over the city and they would build these dwellings with the Lord and they would dwell there. And the, the, the testimony, the prophecy is, is that he's going to cover the earth with his glory and it's going to be the dwelling place of the Lord on the earth. Jesus stands up in this Feast of Tabernacles that I believe is coming and could we be crazy enough to believe it could happen in our day, right? That we've experienced Passover, we've experienced Pentecost, but there's a feast called the Feast of Engathering, Tabernacles, Habitation. This is why we're doing this ministry, because I just want to be a part of the feast, right? Jesus stands up on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles when they're honoring it, and he ties hunger to it, and he says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. And out of your belly will flow, riving, will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying, on the last day of the feast, here will be the conclusion, here will be the sign, here's how you know it's coming, is when there's a people that are thirsty. Like I said in Luke 11, it says, so I say to you, ask and it'll be given, seek and you will find, knock and it'll be opened. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it'll be open. He says, go on to say, if you ask for bread, he will not give you a stone and it only comes by persistence. And here's where we'll end. I asked the Lord the other day, I said, Lord, he's always been talking to me about his hunger, hunger and the habitation of God. You want the habitation of God, you gotta be broken. You got to be hungry. And I said, Lord, I need you to reconcile something in my heart. What is, what is the balance between waiting for you and seeking after you and pursuing? What's the balance of, of rest and zeal? And I heard the Lord speak so clearly to me. He said, it's a Shulamite revelation. Here's a woman that only found rest in her beloved. As long as he was there, she relaxed. And when he wasn't, she sought. And in Song of Solomon 5, they come to this Shulamite woman and they begin to beat her and abuse her as she's looking for the one that she loves. She's looking for her beloved. She is seeking him. She doesn't care what she's got to do to find him. And she's yelling at the watchman in the city, have you seen my beloved? And they begin to beat her and abuse her and hurt her. And rather than leaving the church and ministry and building something around how people offended me and hurt me and leaders did all this stuff to me, she only can muster up a few words. And she says, if you find the one whom my soul loves, tell him that I'm sick with love. Her pursuit wasn't because religion told her to. 
Her seeking wasn't because she felt guilty on Monday morning. Her drive wasn't because she was just disgusted with herself. She had one thought on her mind, how can I be with this man? And here's what's beautiful. By the end of Song of Solomon, the watchmen themselves are helping her find him. You wanna know what the preaching of the gospel looks like? You're zealous for God and people wonder why you're so passionate. And the people that hurt you will be the people that follow you. The people that abuse you and accuse you will be the ones that said, even when I did all this to him, the only thing he could talk about was he's sick with love. Maybe he knows something that I don't and they start helping her find her beloved. Come on, lift your hands. Lord, I pray for love sickness to invade this room tonight. God, I pray that you go to the dry and the weary places, Lord. I pray that you go to the dry and weary places, the drunk places, and you sober us tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, we are tired of religion. We are tired of tradition. We are tired of religious activity devoid of power. Lord, we wanna see your kingdom come. And he says, when the kingdom of God is preached, there will be healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, the casting out of devils. Lord, we're tired of going to church and not seeing all this stuff. So we're saying, come Lord Jesus, come and flip every table. God, flip every single table and awaken a groan inside of a people who are sick and tired of going through the motions. Come on, ask Him. Lift your hands and ask Him. If anybody's hungry, if anybody's thirsty, come on, religion hates radical. Religion wants you to be quiet, refined. They'll tell you the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. I know the Holy Spirit is being fire. He messes things up. Come on, keep asking.